I did want to uh, elaborate uh, on one thing uh, from the announcements that Larry mentioned about our ministry of the month. Uh, of course, this month being WCRH. Um, one of the things that we decided to do this year because of the generosity of, of all of you and uh, being able to expand our budget in the area of missions is that every month when we highlight our ministry of the month, we are giving a donation from, uh, from our, one of our missions categories, our local missions category, of $450 each month to that ministry uh, on behalf of, of our congregation. So uh, you can rejoice in that and give thanks in God's provision. And uh, if you feel so led uh, personally to give on top of that, you feel, feel welcome to do that for sure. But I uh, wanted you to know that... Uh, that your generous giving is, is continuing to provide for, for these ministries that we support locally through our prayers and highlighting them. You're also uh, supporting them financially, so we can rejoice in that. Well, would you join me in prayer as we uh, look into God's Word together? <clears throat> Father, this morning as we have come before you, we want to give you thanks. Thanks for the, the privilege it is to know you, to have a relationship with the, with the sovereign God of the universe. What an incredible thought. And as we talked about last week, this reality that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Lord, we cannot even fully fathom what that means, that your spirit dwells inside of us. That we walk around as a temple of the Holy Spirit. May we ponder that reality so that it will affect the way we live as we consider that. Everywhere we go and everything we do, we represent the one who dwells inside of us. And, uh, and the hope that we have because of it. Lord, we thank you that we can be in relationship with each other the body of Christ. We're family, Lord, because of you, because of what you've done, because you've brought us into, adopted us into your family, brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us to continue to grow in our love for one another, that all the world might see and know who we are and whose we are. And as a result of the unity that we experience as Jesus prayed for us, that they would know that you sent your son Jesus. That they would be drawn to Christ because they see the love we have for one another. They see the unity we have with each other. And Lord, not just in a, a local body of believers like our congregation, but as we understand we are, we are brothers and sisters with all believers in this community and other meeting in other churches this morning and around this world. And Lord, we are mindful of the fact that some of our brothers and sisters in other places right now are being persecuted because they love Jesus. Because they are not willing to renounce the name of Jesus. Because they are willing to stand up and let it be known that they follow Jesus. And Lord, we pray for them. We pray for boldness, for courage. We pray for strength and we pray for your protection. And Lord, we certainly want to continue to pray for the missionaries that have been taken captive in Haiti. 
We pray for these women and children that you would keep them strong in their faith, that they would uh, testify to, to Jesus Christ in, in, uh, on behalf of Jesus Christ in front of their captors, that, that those who are holding them captive would realize that they are the ones who are captive to their own sinfulness and their own belief structure and that they would see the hope and the peace that is evident in these missionaries and, 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 and Lord, that they would bow their hearts to Jesus as a result. We know that you can do this. We see evidence of it in the Scripture. We see examples of that. We think about Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, who was a, a persecutor of, of believers, and, and yet you not only changed his mind and his heart, but you used him powerfully as an apostle to the Gentiles. We are so grateful for the work you did in his life because it has benefited our lives. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for how you've gathered us together. We commit to you this time in your word that you will use it to speak to us about your peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Junior Seau, who was a well-known and passionate, fist-pumping, emotional leader and superstar for the National Football League San Diego Chargers, in his 13th year of pro football, Sale made the pro, uh, the pro Bowl 12 of those 13 years. Uh, he was selected to the 1990s All-Decade team. He was a, a, a great player, a passionate leader on the field for his team. But sadly, on May the 2nd, 2012, at the age of 43, Sale took his own life. His death in northern San Diego County stunned the community who adored him for his service and outgoing personality. In an interview with Sports Illustrated, his former teammate and friend Rodney Harrison explained that Seau's last days, that in his last days, he was desperately searching for peace. Harrison said he would tell me that the only time he truly felt at peace was when he was with his children or on the, in the surf. He would say, when I'm out on those waves, it's the greatest feeling. I have no worries, no stress, no problems. I just forget about everything. And then Harrison said, Junior was always searching for peace. He was successful. He was wealthy. He had fame. He had everything that so many people are striving for in our culture. Yet none of those things gave him peace. The thing he was most longing for. There are so many people like Junior Seau who are searching for peace in all the wrong places. If I stay a little longer at the office, I can, I can make a little more money and I can have some nicer things and I can be recognized for this and recognized for that and, and, and maybe in all that I will feel a sense of satisfaction in who I am, a sense of peace when I lay down at night. And yet none of those things will grant peace. There's only one who can grant that peace. And he's the one whose birth we celebrate this time of year. Jesus provides peace. 
in a relationship with him do we find peace. There are two primary kinds of peace the Bible talks about in regard to our relationship with God. And I want to look at those two this morning. Would you please open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 because the, uh, the truth that I want to bring out is, is laid out in this, in this passage. Um, and then I want, to, I want to point out a few major things that are going on here. Romans 5, verses 1 through 11, he says, Therefore, and, and the therefore is connecting all what he's been talking about, which, which is that, that we are all sinners, and we've all come short of God's perfect standard, but that God provided uh, through his son Jesus, and, uh, and by faith we believe in him, and we have this assurance, this salvation, this righteousness he talks about, and he illustrates it with Abraham in and, and, uh, chapter 4. Then we come to verse 5, he says, Therefore... Having been justified by faith through our Lord, um, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Okay? Christ in you, through His Spirit, the hope of glory. Right. Verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, and much more having, that, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have now received the reconciliation. The point he's making here is this, that we can have peace with God through faith in Christ. We can have peace with God through faith in Christ. We're not going to spend time this morning diving into this passage with great depth. In fact, we, we kind of did this earlier this past uh, fall. But I want to just highlight a few things here uh, in regards to this peace with God. First of all, in our sin, we are at enmity with God. In our sin, we are at enmity with God. Because Chapter 3, verse 23 tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in this condition together. We're all sinners. 
We're born into sin, and we, are, we act out in that sin. And so we are sinners by nature. And because of that condition, we are at enmity with God. We are enemies of the God of the universe. Here we have God in His perfect holiness and righteousness, and we've got sin, sin, uh, man, humankind in perfect sinfulness. And these two cannot come together in that condition. Holiness and sinfulness do not come together. They are at enmity with one another. And so we find ourselves on the wrong side of this equation, right? In sinful humanity. But what this passage tells us in the whole book of Romans tells us is that Jesus reconciled us to God through his death. Let me read again verses 8 through 10. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more uh, having now been justified by his blood, we have saved from the wrath of God through him. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we have Jesus reconciling us to God through his death. It's as if he signed the peace treaty with his own blood. He took the punishment that our sins deserve on himself, and he paid that price that a holy God requires for sin. And Again, through his blood, he signed the peace treaty, and now we are brought back together, reconciled. We have peace with God. You don't need to have peace with someone you're in a relationship with, someone that you're in, in good standing with. You need peace between people who are at odds with one another. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He came to provide that peace. In fact, um, I was reading this week about uh, in Northern Ireland, there's a city that's so divided between the Roman Catholics and the Protestants that they can't even decide on the name of the city. Some of them call it Londonderry and others call it Derry. In the city, the Protestants live on the east bank of the River Foyle, I think that's how it's pronounced, and the Catholics on the west bank. And many times they don't mix. So, one of the solutions was to build a bridge. A 900-foot bridge curves like a snake and is for walkers, joggers, and cyclists. I looked it up online. It's a beautiful bridge, especially at nighttime. The light's on. And it's just this, this bridge that curves around a 900-foot bridge that connects the two sides of, of the, the city. And they call it the Peace Bridge. Peace Bridge. Because right, one side comes across to the other and the other to, the, to them. There needs to be a bridge because there's a gap. And this is the way it is with God and us. There's a, gap, a chasm that we, in our own strength, cannot get across. And so God sent His Son to be like us so that He could build that bridge to His death on the cross for us so that we might have a relationship with God Jesus reconciled us to God through his death. And then the third point is this. We receive this reconciliation through faith in, or by faith in Christ. Again, verse 1. 
having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did all the work that was required. We receive the benefit by trusting in the giver of the gift. Now, I have an illustration for us because it's important that we, we understand this particularly. Now, it's Christmas time, right? So we have a gift here. Um, this is a gift to me, not to you. Okay. So let's pretend that somebody gave me this gift. Uh, I can do one of two things with this gift. I can reject it and say, I don't want that gift. Thank you for it, but I don't want it. I don't want anything in it. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And so I live as if that gift was not even given to me. And I don't get the opportunity to enjoy or appropriate what's inside that box because I've rejected it. Or I can receive it. And to receive it means that I take it and I open it up. And I take what's inside and I use it. And so I take this and I put it on. Because I'm proud to wear this hat. It says TaylorMade on it. Because I have a wonderful set of irons made by TaylorMade that an incredible group of people bought for me last year. And I'm proud to wear this to show that off. And oh, there's also in here a box of tailor-made golf balls. That when I go to the golf course, I can use them. I can put them down and I can use them as I'm playing. I can put it on the tee and I can hit it and then I can go look for it in the woods. Um, that's why I need a lot of them. Uh, but, uh, but so I, you can take this and I can... Use it as I'm doing what I enjoy doing, right? And then there's also a gift card in here for a golf course. And so I can get, take this gift card and I can go and I can pay to play. Now, when I take this gift card, I can trust that the person who bought this actually paid for it and that there's enough money on here that when I go, I get to play golf. You know, there's a lot of similarities to this and our Christian faith in that God gives us a gift of salvation. He says, I'm giving it to you. I've purchased this. I, I want you to have it. And you can choose to say, I don't want that gift. And live as if it's never been purchased, never been given. And you never get to appropriate what's inside. Or you can receive it. And by receiving it, you open it up, right? You take what's inside and you put it on. And you say, I'm proud to wear this because it represents my Jesus. I'm proud to walk around and let people know that I belong to Jesus. I follow Jesus because he purchased this gift for me. And I'm going to take it, I'm going to appropriate it, I'm going to use it as I walk through life. And I'm going to live out my faith in, in a day-to-day -day basis. And when it's all said and done, I'm going to trust that when I get there, what Jesus paid is enough. I'm trusting in the purchase price that Jesus paid for me when I get there. See, this is what salvation, this is what receiving and, and, and accepting the gift of salvation is about. It's like a gift. We take it and we receive it and we appropriate it in our life because we believe that Jesus Christ 
did this for us. We live with that, uh, with that gift and we, we appropriate it in our lives. The whole Bible is pointing to this reality. Right in the Old Testament, we see God loved his people. He set them apart, but they rebelled against him. I mean, from the very beginning, they rebelled, and they continue to rebel. God put this whole sacrificial system together, not as a way of saving them, but as a, a thing to point to what he would ultimately do in the fullness of time when he sent his son, the perfect lamb of God, to this world who would, through his death, take away our sin, through his resurrection, provide life. And he says, this gift I give to you, it's a gift of peace with God. But you receive it through faith, through trusting in Christ. So you receive it, you take what's inside, and you apply it to your life by faith. We can have peace with God through faith in Christ. There's a second kind of peace that we can have once we come to put our trust in Jesus. And that is the peace of God which we see in Philippians chapter 4. The peace of God. We can have the peace of God through obedience to Christ. Philippians 4, I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. There's one promise in this passage. It's in verse 7. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And there are six imperatives, that is, commands, surrounding the promise. What is this peace? The peace of God is a calm assurance in the face of trouble. Peace with God is reconciliation of two people who are in enmity with one another. Right? The peace of God is this calm assurance, the tranquility of a soul in the face of difficulties and troubles. Jesus said to his disciples just prior to his leaving the earth, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled nor let it be fearful. God's peace gives us a calmness, an assurance in the face of difficult times. In John 16, again, just as before Jesus leaves, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I give you my peace, he says. And I love, the, I love this illustration in the Scripture of, of peace. Uh, Jesus was with his disciples. He had just finished teaching. Crowds of people. And he gets in a boat with his disciples and they, he says, let's go over to the other side. And so they, <clears throat> they go over and Jesus is, is probably exhausted from teaching all day. And so he lays down in the boat on a cushion in the front of the boat. And he falls asleep. And as they're out on the way, on the, on the, uh, on the lake, a, a storm comes up. And the scripture says, a great storm. It was so great. The wind was blowing so strong. The waves were crashing in. They were crashing into the boat and the boat was sinking. The disciples went to Jesus, woke him up, and said, don't you care about us that we're going to die? And Jesus stood up and said, peace be still. And the waves calmed and the wind stopped. And they were amazed. Who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey? To me, what's more incredible from a human standpoint, is the fact that Jesus was sleeping in the boat while all this was going on. Now, I've never been on a boat that when it's been that that violent, but you see those those videos on TV when they're you know and they're out in these big fishing boats out in the ocean and they're they're trying to get I don't know lobster and different things and they're and they're out in a storm and that this huge boat is just. Whoosh, everything's and the waves are coming in all over the place. That's kind of as I picture this, right? How on earth can anybody sleep in that? The only conclusion I can come to is that Jesus knew who controlled the storm. He could sleep. See, that's the peace of God that surpasses comprehension. It's a calm assurance on the inside when everything on the outside is going crazy. It's a shame we don't have a, a culture that's you know, out of control and chaos that we can't put this into practice. I mean, we, this is where we live, right, in our world right now. We can experience peace because we know who's ultimately in charge. It isn't those in White House and isn't those in other countries who, are, who have taken over countries because of their power and, and military might. It is God Almighty. We can have peace and the calm assurance in the face of that. And we can experience it in our personal lives when, we, when there's chaos all around us. And if the circumstances are beyond our ability to manage, and we're not sure how this thing's going to turn out, but we know the one who does know how it's going to turn out and who is good and who has a good plan and a good purpose. So we can experience the calm assurance in the face of trouble. Secondly, the peace of God is a guardian over the heart and mind. It says it guards our heart. The word guard means a sentinel. 
guarding the city against attack. God gives us this calm assurance, this peace, to guard our heart and our mind. The heart feels the stress and anxiety, the emotions. We feel it. And oftentimes, we, we have a hard time controlling the emotions that are going on inside of us. It's kind of reactive to the circumstances. And we've got to stop and, and, and sit back and take a deep breath and remember the truth about who's in control. And that peace comes. Our minds tend to wander and tend to speculate on the worst case scenario. And so we lay in bed at night and we can't fall asleep because we're thinking about what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if he says this? What if she does that? What if, what if, what if? And our brain goes through all of these things. The peace of God, that calm assurance, is a guardian over that. If we will trust him and remember he's in charge, he's in control. And whether those other people who are creating chaos know the Lord or not, He's still in control. He still can work. When I think about uh, the, the, the story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, how did He get there? There was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus uh, that all the inhabited world is to have a census. Caesar was not bowing the knee to, to the Lord, but God used this ungodly leader to, de to issue a decree for his own selfish reasons that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem that in the fullness of time he could be born in the place where God designed him to be born. God can use anything and anyone. They don't have to bow the knee to Jesus. And so God's in control. So if we believe that, we trust in that, and we allow that calm assurance that passes all comprehension, it will guard our heart and our mind from those things. And then the last thing, the peace of God is a conditional promise. It's a conditional promise. In that, it is conditioned upon the six imperatives that surround it. In other words, I believe Paul is saying, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so God is speaking through him to us to say this, you can experience the peace of God, but you will experience it only as you obey what I've told you to do. And the six imperatives are this, and we're not going to elaborate on them today because um, after the new year, we're coming back to Philippians. So we'll, we'll spend more time maybe uh, uh, looking into these with greater depth when we get there as we're going through the book of Philippians. But in verses 4 through 9, we have six imperatives, six commands. The first is rejoice in the Lord always. And he says it again. Rejoice. We need to find joy and celebration in the Lord. Focus our attention there. Then the second one is in verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all. Have a, a patient and forbearing spirit and let that be evident in your life. 
The third is to be anxious for nothing. Do not let anxiety rule over your heart. But I love that he, he takes that negative command, do not, and he gives us a positive command to combat that. Because when you think about what not to do, you end up doing the thing you are not supposed to do because that's what you're thinking about, right? But he says, instead of letting anxiety rule your heart, instead, he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. That's the command. Let your requests be made known to God. Bring them to God. Instead of sitting in your, uh, laying in bed at night, not being able to fall asleep, worrying about all these things, why not give these things to the Lord? Talk to God about it and say, Lord, I give this over to you. Help me to trust you with that. And then dwell upon the scriptures that remind you of who God is and, and what he says instead of on the problem that you have going on in your life. And then in verse 8, it says, Whatever is true, honorable, or right, pure, lovely, or good repute, anything excellent, worthy of praise, let your mind dwell. That's the command. Let your mind dwell on these things. Think about these things. What is true? What is honorable? What is right? What is pure? What is lovely? What's of good repute? You know, if you go through the Scriptures and just even... <laughs> Go to the Psalm 119, and you will find every one of these descriptions talking about the Word of God. The Word of God is true, it's honorable, it's right, it's pure, it's lovely, it's of good repute. So if we let our minds dwell on the Word of God rather than on the, the problem we're facing, we're following this command. And the last is the things you've learned, received, and heard, and seen, Right? Paul says, in me, he says this to, uh, to them. But, you know, the things we've learned from the Word of God, we've received, we've heard, we've seen other people live it out. Practice these things. That's the command. Practice them. Put them into practice. Do them. And the God of peace will be with you. This peace, this promise of peace, will come and overwhelm us to the point where we can't even understand how is it that I can experience an assurance and a calmness in the face of this and other people are saying, that's just amazing. Say, it's not amazing. I have an amazing God. He gives me this. He says this is what he gives I'm just doing what God told me to do. I'm, I'm rejoicing in him. I'm exercising forbearance. I'm not letting anxiety rule my heart. Instead, I'm giving it to the Lord. I'm dwelling on the things that God says in his word. And I'm putting into practice what I know. And as I'm living this way, God's peace is overwhelming me and guarding my heart and my mind. I live in the peace of God. Bottom line is, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. So as we celebrate His birth, we want to remember the significance of this is He came here to provide for us peace with God because we are in enmity with Him. He came to give us this gift and we must receive it by faith. And then we walk it out. And we can experience the peace of God because Jesus gives it to us as we walk in obedience to what he's told us to do. We trust him. He gives us peace and it guards us. And so we can live 
with that calm assurance when all the rest of the world is frantically running around wondering how in the world do I make it through today? How do I, how do I handle this? How do I make sense of this? How do I do this? And we're just coming through. Like Jesus walking on the water. Like Jesus sleeping in the boat. They're saying, how are you, how's, how's this going on? Nothing special about me. It's Jesus. And you can have it too. Because Jesus wants to give you a gift. But you've got to take it. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank you. Thank you that you are indeed the Prince of Peace. And I pray for that person right now, maybe watching online, maybe here in this, in this room. <laughs> or maybe somebody will run across this video weeks, months from now, looking for peace, and they see, oh, this is about peace. Let me, let me watch this. Lord, whatever it is, I pray that you will work to help someone understand that you are offering this gift. You sent Jesus to provide it. And they can receive it by faith. God, maybe as we're going through this season, as we're exchanging gifts and as we open gifts, maybe that will remind us of our salvation. As we take and open the gift and take what's inside, that we will think about this gift of salvation. The greatest gift. What it looks like to appropriate it. And God, I pray, someone will come to understand and place their faith in Christ as a result of this. And God, I pray for each of us who have already received the gift of salvation, the gift of peace with God, that, Lord, we will walk in the peace of God. We'll know that peace that goes beyond our comprehension, that just blows our minds in the face of so much. We can walk with a calmness, with an assurance that is <laughs> compelling to others so that we might tell them where we found this peace, who provides it, and how they can get it. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of our Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going we're gonna to stand and, and sing our closing song. I want to, uh, after this song, I'm going to ask you to sit back down so we can have a quick congregational meeting. If you need to leave, please feel free to do that. You might want to slip out at the end of the song if, you, if that would be easier for you. But uh, I want to make you aware it will only be a few minutes. We'll go over a few things uh, for the meeting and then have our vote. But I wanted to make you aware of that in case you need to slip out. You feel free to do that. Uh, last thing I want to do is hold somebody captive because <laughs> um, they, they don't need to be here or don't desire to be here for that. So.